This morning, I invite you to take God's word and open it up to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verse number 7 in particular today, but we'll jump back again and read from verse number 1 of Isaiah chapter 9 to verse number 7. If you are able, ask that you would stand out of reverence for God's word as we read it together this morning. Let us hear what Isaiah the prophet spoke through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit some, uh, well not 700 years ago to the New Testament, a long time ago in the Old Testament. Verse number one, but there will be no gloom for her, her who was in anguish in the former time. He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling Uh, excuse me, tramping warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase... And of peace, there will be no end. Increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You join me in prayer. Father, we praise you this day for our Savior Jesus, the King. Father, we ask humbly together as your people here this morning that you would help us see our King Jesus this morning. That your word would penetrate deep into our hearts. We pray that through your Holy Spirit, Father, you would do what only you can do. We pray for eyes to be opened. Pray for lives to be encouraged, convicted, rebuked. Father, we pray that you would give us life through your word this morning. Feed us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning we're coming to the conclusion of our short series as we've stepped out of Luke into Isaiah as we've been focusing on the incarnation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this Christmas season. 
Over the last two weeks, we've been jumping into Isaiah's prophecy of what the son that would be born, what he would be like. In verse number six, Isaiah foretold these various names, these titles uh, that would be attributed to this promised son that was coming. These names have taught us about Jesus, about who he is, his character, of what he would be like in his coming, various aspects of his ministry, that Jesus would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And today we come to the last verse in this section where where Isaiah is continuing to speak about this coming king, this, this coming king that he is prophesying about. And verse number seven focuses on the kingdom that this promised child would bring, the kingdom that this child would bring about. As we come to this verse, we need to remember uh, again the overall context of this prophecy that Isaiah is giving. Uh, these verses were spoken into, as we've seen, very dark times in Israel's roller coaster history. The northern ten tribes were being threatened by the Assyrian army. So they were under physical threat as a nation for their lives. Uh, The Assyrians were pushing down upon him. They were the dominating world power of the day. They were the big, large uh, government of the day, those that were flexing their muscles and pursuing in lands and cities and overtaking and sacking places, killing people, wanting uh, homage to be paid, money to be paid to them. And the southern tribes of Judah were being enticed to trust in alliances with other nations instead of trusting in God's word of promise to them. God gave them a promise that he would uh, keep them, endure them, give them safety if they would look to him and be obedient to him. But King Ahaz, the king of that day, was no godly ruler. He was not a good king Yet in the middle of all of this chaos, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and was foretelling a king that would come and the kingdom that this king would usher in. And in verse number seven, Isaiah speaks in particular of what this future kingdom would look like, how this future promised son would actually be Lord, how he would come to sit on the throne of King David. This kingdom would look drastically different than the kingdom of King Ahaz, that's for sure. The promised king would rule drastically different than what was currently taking place in Israel and what they were seeing with their eyes. And so in verse number seven, as we come to this, as we look and walk through this verse, we're going to see four characteristics of this promised kingdom that was coming. So Isaiah is going to characterize this future kingdom and four characteristics of that kingdom that Jesus would bring. So um, obviously we're in the Old Testament, which you have to turn over the cross to get there right from your New Testament, the coming of Jesus. So for Isaiah, he's writing yet future. Obviously for us, we're looking back uh, upon the coming of Jesus and what Isaiah had foretold. So four things that we see here. Isaiah is prophesying some 700 years 
before the coming of King Jesus. First thing we learn about this kingdom is it is advancing. It is advancing. Isaiah says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Before we talk about the increase part, we first need to think about the government and the peace part. What is meant here by a government and a peace that this promised son would bring about? Well, the word government is speaking here about a rule. It's speaking about a reign. It is speaking about a dominion. Don't think when we read that word government, uh, don't think in the context of our government here at this time and in uh, this place. The kingdom of God is just that. It is a kingdom with a king ruling over a people in a place. It's not a democracy. It's, 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 it's not a representative type of government. No, there is a king. There is a ruler. And Isaiah is saying this promised child to be born will rule and he is going to reign and his reign will be marked by peace. That's something that's going to characterize this kingdom. That word peace, imagine it would have been such a sweet word to hear, no doubt, for the original audience, especially with the context that they were in of wars where they're literally fearing for their life from an invading army coming to them. They were divided. There was alliances that were being made. There was alliances that were being broken. Tributes were being paid to other nations to help protect them from this king. There was all these things going on. And here Isaiah speaks of a coming peace. So is Isaiah here speaking of a king that will rule on this earth, over this land, set up his throne and have dominion over all? Is that what Isaiah is speaking of here? Is that what he's saying? That there's going to come a king, he's going to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem and he is going to rule and he is going to reign on this sod of this earth all over. Is that what Isaiah is saying? Well, the answer might be a little more tricky than you might think. The answer is yes. Yes, that is what he's saying. But... Not really yet. Yes, but not fully seen all at once. We could say yes, but progressively so. That's what is going to take place. And this is where we come to the increase part of this government, of this peace. Isaiah speaks about the increase of Jesus' government and peace having no end. The rule and reign will not stop. There's no other successor that is to come. And Jesus' kingdom is increasing. We see that clearly as we zoom out a little bit from the book of Isaiah and consider the context of the Bible as a whole, that this kingdom that Jesus is bringing about is something that increases and takes over. It's not something that comes and immediately is seen over all and in the earth. So it is increasing. From small beginnings, it will grow and increase. There's tons of examples, just a couple to throw out. Uh, from, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. The Old Testament has a lot to say about the kingdom of God. It's not just a New Testament concept. Think of Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 2. 
of Nebuchadnezzar, he had this vision that God put in his mind of, of this mighty great image. Do you remember that? Nebuchadnezzar had this dream in Daniel and there was this mighty image there of a head of gold, chest of arms and silver, uh, middle of thighs and uh, middle and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. You remember that vision that was there representing kingdoms and uh, rules and reigns of peoples and governments. And there was a small stone, do you remember that? Cut out of a rock, but not by human hands. It struck this mighty statue and the whole statue was broken into pieces from this small, tiny rock. Think of the New Testament about the parable of the mustard seed. The smallest of all the seeds in the garden, yet when it grows fully, becomes a great tree in which the birds of the air come to build their nest. Or like leaven that was hid in flour, but leavened the whole lump. There is an increase of this coming king and his rule. Yes, the kingdom of heaven and the rule and reign of Jesus Christ is ever growing. It is expanding. It is advancing. There's a progressive nature to it. It's coming to completion, but not all at once. In God's time and in God's plan. Theologians have called this concept the already and the not yet of the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. He is currently now ruling and reigning already right now. That is a reality. But he has not yet fully inaugurated his kingdom. In other words, Jesus' coming will be in two stages, we could say. The first coming as a child born to die and born to be raised, and the second coming at some point in the future to rule and reign forever with his feet, literal feet, on this literal earth, ruling and reigning forever as our king and us as his subjects through the blood of the cross. The disciples, after Jesus' resurrection, were anticipating Jesus's full return. They were anticipating this kingdom that he would be setting up. Let me read just real quick from Acts 1 uh, there. So Jesus has died. He'd come. He died on the cross. He was raised on the cross. He was teaching his disciples and he was meeting with them. And Luke re records for us in Acts. So when they had come together, they asked him, that is, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at, at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, they were anticipating the coming king. They knew Jesus was the king. Are you going to at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And here's what Jesus said. No, I don't have a kingdom. I'm not a ruling king. No, that's not what it says. He said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons the father is fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know when that is going to happen but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, Jesus there himself speaks about the increase of his kingdom, the kingdom of God seen through his people, not in a particular nation like in the Old Testament, Right? There's not a, not a Christian nation today in the globe that you say, well, I'm a Christian now, I've got to move over there to Christian land. 
That's where the Christians live. It's not like in the Old Testament, you, you come and worship at this temple, this one place God has given to worship. No, Christians now in this time in the kingdom of God, we're, we're scattered throughout all places, right? We're, we're parts of different governments and peoples all across the, the globe. And we worship not in one particular place. We worship in spirit and truth through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We worship our king all over the place. And you see this kingdom of God, this rule and reign of God is growing. It is expanding. It is advancing. We are a part of that kingdom, that work of God. We need to let that truth about Jesus' kingdom advancing soak into our spiritual bones Jesus' rule, his government is increasing, his peace is increasing, people are finding peace with this king, they're looking to Jesus to forgive them of their sins, to be brought in to this kingdom of Christ. God's kingdom is advancing, God's kingdom is at work. I pray that brothers and sisters, we'd be able to see that reality right now. You see, we have to see that by faith, by the word of God's promise, that Jesus is king, his kingdom is advancing, Jesus is ruling, Jesus is reigning. He is giving peace through the blood of his cross for sinners who have sinned to find forgiveness of their sins through the king, through what the king has done for us. The king has come to die in our place to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our king has come for us. His kingdom is advancing. The second thing we see here is the kingdom that's being spoken of, it brings fulfillment. Isaiah continues and he says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. This coming child to be born, the son that is given given to us, will fulfill the promise from the Old Testament to be the king that will sit on the throne of David. 2 Samuel chapter 7 records for us the promises that God made through Nathan the prophet to Daniel. King, or excuse me, to David. Uh, king David wanted to build a house for the ark of God as it was being kept in a tent, you'll recall. And God turned the conversation uh, to the house of David and told David in verse number 16 of 2 Samuel 7, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. He's speaking there to King David. And at the time Isaiah spoke these words in verse 7, the throne sure didn't look healthy, the throne sure didn't look secure. Isaiah spoke about this future king and Jesus in his coming has fulfilled this prophecy of the coming king, the ultimate king that would sit on the throne of David. Again, 700 years after Isaiah wrote this verse, the angel Gabriel came. And the angel Gabriel was sent to this little town in the city of David that was called Galilee. It was named Nazareth. Gabriel went to deliver some news to this virgin Mary that she would conceive and bear a son named Jesus. And the angel said this in verse 32 to 33, speaking of Jesus, he will be great. 
and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. As we celebrate the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, we welcome and celebrate the King, the forever King who has come to sit on the throne of David. As verse 7 in Isaiah states, Jesus has come to establish it and to uphold it. Jesus' kingship, his rule, his dominion are a fulfillment, a direct fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. The Old Testament prophesied of a coming king, a ruler, and Jesus in himself is the fulfillment of that prophet, promise. There are many things that we can just take away from that fact as we just consider that fact that there's a prophecy made in the Old Covenant of a coming king and of Jesus coming and angel confirming and all that took place in that uh, time period of his birth. There's so much for us to learn, but just consider uh, today again and just that fact and just know this, God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promise. God is faithful. God is faithful to keep his word. God can be trusted. Wherever you are in life, whatever is going on in your life, trials, temptations, having difficulty being obedient to the scriptures and to Jesus, not wanting to live like a Christian. Maybe you get in those places in your life where you're just having, uh, you just be honest, say, I'm just struggling with wanting to, to be a Christian, to live like a Christian. It's hard seeking to put to death the things of the death uh, of the flesh and bring to life the things of the spirit. It's hard. It's hard to do. And there's a temptation just to coast and drift and walk away. Listen, you can trust God. God's prom he promises us the forgiveness of sins to all who come to Jesus. King Jesus, our king, promised to come again for us. He promised us in his word that he will not leave us or forsake us. He promised us in John 14, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. We can live in uncertain times because we know who is in control and we know who holds the future. We can keep on keeping on in our sanctification because we know our king is coming. And we know that we will die or he will come back. We will see him for who he is. Jesus said at the very end of Revelation 22 verse 16, he says, I am the root and the descendant of David. We celebrate God's keeping his promise. But listen, for the believer, that's a great comfort. But it's also a scary thing if you're not believing in Jesus that he keeps his promise. Because he likewise promises to come as king. 
to rule and to reign, and for all those who are not bowing their knee to the king, there will be punishment. There will be a real place called hell who those who did not bow the knee to King Jesus, they will bow the knee, but it's going to be in submission too late at that point when he returns, forever underneath the wrath of this king. So let that be a warning for us today. Let that be something for you to consider today if you're here and you just be honest with yourself right now and say, I'm not trusting in Jesus that he died on the cross for my sins. I'm not believing in that. Just know and hear from God's word and consider the fact that God always keeps his promises. God keeps his promises to judge. Come to Jesus. Come to this king who died for you to save you. Come bowing the knee, confessing your sin and need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ will forgive you of your sins. He will cleanse you, make you a new person, make you a citizen of the kingdom. So we see this promised kingdom. The kingdom is advancing and it brings fulfillment from the Old Testament in the coming of Jesus. We see, thirdly, that it's with holiness. It's with holiness. Isaiah describes for us in a few terms, there's more to say, obviously, and the Bible says a lot more about the kingdom and the nature of the kingdom of God, but here, the nature of his kingdom, he describes in what it will look like and how it will be run, he says, with justice and with righteousness. Now, when you think of the word government, the words justice and righteousness probably aren't the first words that pop into your head to describe it. At least I'll speak for myself. That's me, right? You might be thinking more corruption. You might be thinking bribes, injustice, unrighteousness, and you could continue on with things that you might think of when you think of the word government. Well, that's definitely what would have characterized the time period of King Ahaz in Judah. King Ahaz was so unrighteous and so unjust that he even burned his own son as an offering to the gods of the nations whom the Lord drove out before Israel. It's recorded for us in 2 Kings. He even sacrificed his own son to appease false gods. And we have seen in chapter 7 and 8 of how Isaiah, uh, how King Ahaz did not want to trust God's word of promise, his power to bring about deliverance. Rather, he wanted to trust in other people, other nations. But th those types of actions are not what characterize the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus brings about his kingdom with perfect justice and with perfect righteousness. That's what characterizes the kingdom of our Savior. Think of the ministry of Jesus as he came preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Think about the gospels and the gospel narrative. Jesus dealt with people justly. Our King Jesus is, is able to rightly see motives and desires and make a judgment based upon it. When did Jesus ever make an unjust decision? So when did he ever do that? When did Jesus ever deal with somebody unjustly? Does that characterize Jesus and his kingdom and his, his people? When was Jesus ever unrighteous? When did he ever do something that was wrong? The ministry of Jesus gives us a, a glimpse into what the rule and reign of Jesus would look like. And as followers of Jesus today, 
as we are those who now bow the knee to King Jesus, these same characteristics are to characterize us. Same characteristics of our king are to characterize us. We are to resemble our king, to act like citizens of the kingdom, to act like who we are in Christ. First Peter tells us, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. We love justice because Jesus' kingdom is characterized by justice. We love righteousness because Jesus' kingdom is characterized by righteousness. This world has their own way of speaking about these things, of speaking uh, about these things and unrighteousness and, and injustices and what that looks like. But we as the kingdom, citizens of the kingdom, are to live differently than the world. And the things our king tells us of how we are to live, that is how we are to live. The things he takes seriously, we take seriously. The things God's word speaks to us about how we're to think and to act, that's what we receive and that's what we give ourselves over to. We are to be characterized by kingdom characteristics. Oh, how that even makes us as we think about it in our sin, right? We, we continually, we have a, t- a prayer of confession, as Adam mentioned, and, and Rick read from uh, 1 John chapter 1, there about us confessing our sins, right? We, that is a part of being citizens of the kingdom because we're not yet who we will be in the future. We still struggle now with our sin. We have to seek forgiveness for our sin and oh, how that makes us long for the day when Christ will make us whole and we won't have to do that. We will be different. The kingdom of Heaven will be seen here and we will be the subjects of the king living underneath his rule for eternity in a real place called heaven. Not up in a cloud, strumming some harp, whistling. No, we're going to be here on the earth, right? Living and moving and worshiping King Jesus with our lives and our interaction will be beautiful and it'll be perfect. We need to think about that because as we think about that, it changes us about how we live in the present. We long for our king to return, to set up his kingdom for the feet of Jesus to come out of the sky and stand on this earth. And it will be for eternity, as this verse goes on to say. It says there, from this time forth and forevermore. You see, the Bible is very clear. There will be no end to Jesus' rule and reign. He is Lord. He will always be Lord The true king has come. Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' lordship will never end. Jesus has no successor. Jesus has no term limits. There are no ending to his term. There's no replacement to him from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus is Lord and Jesus is king. Kingdoms of this earth, they come and kingdoms of this earth go I don't hate to break it to you. The United States has come and the United States will go. Just give it five million years and you'll believe it, right? We've come and we will go. No kingdom lasts forever save one, the kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's something for us to consider today. If you're a citizen, if you're a part of the kingdom, 
you're a part of the church, the body of Christ, that will endure forever. That'll endure forever. We are a part of that kingdom. That is the supermost kingdom to be a part of because nations of this earth rise and nations fall, right? Just read your history books. It's evidently clear to us. Nations rise, nations fall. The kingdom of God remains forever. That brings us to the last characteristic of this promised kingdom Isaiah spoke about. It's a kingdom that's advancing. The kingdom of Jesus brings fulfillment. It's with holiness. And lastly, we see here, it is guaranteed. It is guaranteed. How do we know these things will come about that Isaiah is saying? How do we know that? Well, we know it will come about because God is the one who is saying it will come about. Right? The zeal, it says here, of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah says the Lord is going to do this. It's the Lord who says this. Isaiah says the Lord of hosts, that is the Lord of armies, will make this happen. This is a flex. This is a flex statement here. As he's saying the Lord of armies will bring this about. Even before, I mean, we think of the beauty, and it's obviously beautiful, verse number six, right? For to us, as it says there, a child is born. But step back and read verse number five, and you might think, hmm, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. Right? He's, he's speaking there. He's saying, look, there's going to be bloodshed. There's going to be a king. These garments, it's like after the battle, the battle's over, you slayed your enemies. You're just going to take those garments to throw by the fire to keep yourself warm by. It's going to be a great victory is what he's saying here, even as we look to the verses before this. That it's going to be something like the day of Midian, like that time period of Gideon when, when God said, no, that's too many people, that's too many people uh, that you've got. You need to whittle them down. And you go down and he teaches all of us to drink out of a creek and how we're to do that. And then it's like, okay, you're chosen, you move forth. There's 300 some people that are used to slay thousands of people just so that they know it's not by your power, it's by the power of God that this thing happened. That's what brings it about. That's what I'm teaching you. And here in this verse, verse number seven, when it says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, it's saying, look, consider who's saying this. Consider who's saying that these things are going to happen. And we see that fulfillment in the coming of Jesus Christ. That's already happened. And we're living in that time period between the first coming and the second coming. And we need to look back and say, God kept his promise. We obviously know that. We can trust in him as we look for the future when Jesus will return and say, God help me, God save me through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's guaranteed. Isaiah uses powerful language here. He says the zeal of the Lord will do this. The zeal these things will happen because of God's passionate commitment to make them happen. The word zeal is very similar here to jealousy. Not jealousy that we think of that's such a petty and kind of self-controlled thing that it's all about you and you're, you're jealous of what you're not getting. No, God's zeal and jealousy will bring it about because of his consuming concern to make it happen. 
God will bring to completion the plans and the salvation that he has promised because he is jealous for his righteousness. We can rest assured that these things will happen because God is the one assuring us that they will happen. The same one who created light out of darkness is the same one who will bring about what he says. God will bring about his will. God will bring about his plan. After Gabriel, if we think for just a quick moment out of Luke, after Gabriel came again to speak to Mary, she was a virgin, and the angel Gabriel said, you're going to have a child. Mary asked a question, rightfully so, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be? That's a good question. How will this be since I'm a virgin? That's what she says in verse 34. And the angel answered her. Listen to what the angel said. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's, that's how it's going to happen. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son... And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. When God says it, it is going to come about. Nothing is impossible for him. And God's zeal will bring about his plan. It is guaranteed God was faithful to bring about Jesus through fulfillment of the Old Testament and God will be faithful to send Jesus once again to this earth in fulfillment of the New Testament. Two two quick summary thoughts of conclusion, just two, again, kind of exhortations here. View your present life in the reality of Jesus' coming kingdom. View your present life right now, your life, whatever your life is as a worker, as a friend, as a spouse if you're married, as a mother, father if you have children, wherever you are in life, view your present life in the reality of Jesus' coming kingdom. Our hope is not in this kingdom. Our, our hope is not in this government. Right? Our hope is not in the things of this life going completely well. We all want things to go well, don't we? We want to find fulfillment. We want to find happiness. We, we get upset when injustices occur, rightly so. That upsets us. We get upset, Lord willing, at our own sin. When we sin, we get upset with that. Our hope and our desire can't be for everything going right in this kingdom. Our hope and our desire is in the future kingdom that is to come where it will all be made right. The government will be amazing because it's a kingship and guess what? Jesus is the king, not some sinful person. Jesus will bring that back. So we need to, need to steady our hopes, our disappointments. We need to realize that and flesh that out in the rest of the New Testament, how it tells us to live. But we need to remember the fact Jesus is king. That kingdom is coming. This earth is not all that there is. 
this time period, man, and all the frustrations. Maybe some of you have been frustrated. This last year, you've been through difficult times in your life. Man, our hope is not in everything going well here. God's at work doing stuff we don't even see. Our hope is in the kingdom to come. Secondly, just live as citizens of God's kingdom. In other words, live like who you are. Live like citizens of God's kingdom. It's not like we live like citizens of the kingdom, then God lets us into the kingdom. No, we're wretched, sinful worms. God, by his grace, gives us spiritual life, brings us into the kingdom. We're part of God's kingdom. Then he says, okay, we need to start acting like citizens of the kingdom. Right? And that's the process of sanctification. Kingdoms of the citizens of the kingdom of God are to march to the beat of a different drummer. Above all, above all, our allegiance is to King Jesus. Because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. He's currently, as the rest of the New Testament tells us, even right now sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. If you had spiritual eyes to see it, if God would grant that, we would literally see it. Right now, Jesus is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. Somewhere up there. Right? If we could see it, we would literally see it because that's reality. That is reality. And he instructs us, our king instructs us of how we are to live, of, of how we are to act. How do citizens of God's kingdom act? What are we to think? How do we treat others? How, how are we as citizens of God's kingdom to treat other citizens of the kingdom? Right, we teach on that weekly. Right, how are we to do that. How are citizens of God's kingdom to treat those who aren't a part of God's kingdom? How are we to live like that? Are you giving yourselves over to that as a worker? How are you to live as citizens of the kingdom, as a spouse, as all the things that we are in? Give yourself over to live as citizens of that kingdom. I close with a passage of scripture of Matthew that quotes Isaiah and then Jesus makes a Good, big, therefore, because of these things happening, here is how we are to live. Matthew chapter 4, 12 and 17, it says, Now, when he, that is Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. From that time forth, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kingdom that has come through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We look forward to that day when you return again as king. Father, we pray that you would continue in your work of bringing peace. Peace primarily 
seen as enemies become citizens of your kingdom by the blood of Jesus Christ and his death in our place. And Father, would you help us as your people give ourselves over to living as citizens of your kingdom. Help us, Father, to be characterized and marked and taught and shaped and molded, not by this world that we live in, but by your word that you have given to us. Jesus, we look forward with anticipation to your coming, to your rule and your reign. It's in the name of our King Jesus we pray. Amen.